Perspectives on a Pandemic is the project and original work of Alex Lambert, bringing a variety of voices on our current global situation. It is a production of the Sager Broadus Gallery Artists in Residence program in KBIA. L.A. Kaufman has been a grassroots organizer and movement historian for more than 35 years. She was the mobilizing coordinator for some of the largest protests in U.S. history, the huge Iraq anti-war protests of 2003 and 2004, and has played a central role in an array of successful grassroots fights, including campaigns that saved community gardens and public libraries in New York City from luxury development. She has published widely on the history and meaning of social movements and is the author of two books, Direct Action and How to Read a Protest. Please welcome L.A. Kaufman. So, yay, I'm thrilled that you're here. I thought about inviting you because I have just had so much um, stress around feeling really helpless in terms of activism, in terms of what I can do, in terms of um, the, the kind of extreme difference in the shape of this crisis to others that I've responded to, where you're with people and you go out to protest and you do all of these kind of communal uh, actions. And I, I, so I guess I wanted to start just by asking you what people can do. If you have your health, if you have your, you know, if you're able to do things with different resources, what are those things? Well, I think you're not alone by a long shot in the feelings you're experiencing. Um, we are still very much coming to grips with what is and isn't possible in this time. And, um, and there's, there's enormous uncertainty and enormous uncertainty about um, what kinds of collective action could be effective now um, and what uh, forms of collective action are safe. You know, it's one of the great paradoxes of this time that, you know, the period right after Donald Trump took office witnessed the highest level of protest participation ever in U.S. history. So there were record numbers of people flooding the streets in protest time and time again all over the over the course of the first 18 months of Trump's presidency. And the whipsaw effect of now it being almost impossible to congregate in public safely so that the only uh, protests of any size that we're seeing are these crazy actions um, against lockdowns that are putting people at you know, enormous risk of uh, contracting the disease. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a dizzying reversal and very hard to come to terms with. So the, the uncertainty you feel is widespread and people have been experimenting with different forms of collective action and uh, with different results. I think, you know, some of the, some of the experiments have been enormously successful and those would be the mutual aid efforts. So in the, the question of like, what can you do? A first obvious thing that people can do is look for or start a mutual aid pod or network in their community to help people address immediate needs. And how would one look for that or form one? I mean, you can Google, there's, you know, there's lots of things uh, posted online. 
I, I should have uh, looked before I came on to this conversation so I could point you to URLs, but people have definitely been compiling those, those uh, links and have been posting a lot of guides to how to set up a mutual aid pod. People are doing things like it's very um, hyper local. Mm -hmm. So people are mm -hmm. like writing out slips of paper or, you know, printing out little slips of paper and putting them under their neighbor's doors saying like, hey, we're looking to see if anybody needs groceries or if you have skills to share or resources to share and people some cases they just set up a group chat or sometimes they set up an email list or sometimes they have more elaborate tech. But through these networks, people are identifying needs, sharing resources and looking out for one another. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. which, you know, in some ways is like a classic volunteer activity, but in the context of all of the official failures and neglect is more than that. You know, these right. are, um, these are, uh, you know, efforts at, at community solidarity that at the same time that they're addressing people's immediate needs are shining a spotlight on the failures of the government and the need for systemic responses, because anything like this is a stopgap, right? I mean, we need, we need robust social safety net to, to support people, not just neighbors cobbling together resources to get groceries to the grandma who lives alone and is going hungry. So these are, they're like, you know, important in terms of the needs that they address, but they're also important in terms of the models they put forward. Right. Yes. Cause I'm, uh, yeah, I wanted to, so there, I'm exactly interested in that difference. The, the, um, things we're doing for our own community that we can reach out with our resources and the kind of, uh, and how, how that is connected with the political action and trying to see that as broader change. Right. I mean, what this crisis has thrown into stark relief is something that has always been true, but is um, maybe truer now and much more um, naked, which is that our governments, um, because it's a federal system, I'm going to use the plural, our governments to varying degrees, but some of them to an extreme degree, view certain categories of people as completely expendable. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so survival is an act of resistance. It's not just an act of survival. It's also an act of resistance against a power structure that views certain people as expendable. And so where mutual aid efforts really first began, I think that they're happening in many different kinds of communities, including some communities that are fairly low risk or that have fairly high resources. But they really um, have grown out of communities that are marginalized, vulnerable, targeted, dying disproportionately, not, not receiving adequate supports. And that's, you know, some in this country, some people on the right are 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 fine with seeing them just die off yep. really yep. so you know for the most marginalized communities survival has always been an act of resistance always yes. and that's what's being thrown in greater relief to think about not going out as a protest in and of itself that you know it feels 
very different from what it is. Right. It's an act of solidarity, but it's an often isolated act of solidarity. So one thing that people are trying to do where they can is to make that act of solidarity visible, right? So putting up a sign that says, you know, I'm staying in to protect my neighbors or to protect my community to kind of, you know, verbalizing what an act of solidarity it is and making that visible is important you know, the, the way in which mask wearing has gotten so politicized in the U.S. in a way that it hasn't anywhere else. Um, some people are, you know, we're making buttons or signs that are explaining that, you know, shifting the frame instead of wearing a mask being an act of fear, that it's an act of generosity and it's an act of concern and that you know, my mask protects you, your mask protects me. The other thing that people can do now is to mourn and grieve the dead. Yes. So that is something that I wanted to definitely discuss because I think the isolation and the ability to be around the people you love when they're dying, that's been denied people. And it makes it very painful, I think, and also very abstract. I'm interested to hear you talk more about grieving as a political act. Right. Well, again, um, it's, you know, much as, you know, survival has always been a form of resistance um, for those who are viewed as expendable by those in power. So is grieving and mourning long had a political dimension in many different contexts. You know, you can think about how many contexts I'm thinking, uh, what comes immediately to my mind is the South African freedom struggle and how Funerals, political funerals, played such an important role in mobilization. And it's one of the most striking characteristics of this pandemic that has now killed, you know, as at the moment we're having this conversation, it's it's getting very close to 100,000 people in the United States, at least. There has likely been significant undercounting. And there, you know, that's more than 30 times 9-11. There hasn't been collective mourning on a national scale. There hasn't been, there hasn't been official mourning. There hasn't, you know, it's, it's, it's staggering and it's obscene and it's very political. It's very much part of the attempt to hide and normalize the incredible leadership failures obviously of our president, but of uh, many governors and mayors in New York City. I think, you know, the death rate could have been much lower if uh, Cuomo and de Blasio had acted sooner. And so the the failure to have, you know, I, I can remember so vividly after 9-11 that we were publicly grieving and remembering people all the time part of the fabric of life. So people have started doing some very interesting things now. So they're, uh, in fact, as as we're speaking now, it's uh, a 24-hour online vigil called Naming the Lost. It's just winding up where for 24 hours, people have been just reading the names of, of people who've died in something that was more, you know, more of like a direct action intervention. Um, people dropped body bags outside uh, the White House um, and uh, some state capitals as a uh, you know, kind of visual act of protest. But people also in New York City, a number of just small groups of artists or individual artists yesterday put up 
just tributes and memorials on the streets of the kind that we had so many of after 9-11 and that we've had so few of now. And that's something that anybody can do, you know, put up a public memorial to their loved ones um, or to people that they've read and heard about who died, who maybe they didn't know personally, but who they want to honor and show respect for and memorialize. And those can be, you can, you know, you can put something up on a fence or on a wall. You know, it doesn't need to be anything fancy or elaborate to have the content and the emotional weight and to be that, that kind of a collective intervention in this time when we're so atomized. But I think that, that the public silence around the death, I mean, partly, you know, it's, it's just trauma. I mean, it hasn't been that long in New York City since you weren't hearing sirens all the time. All the time, all day, all night long. In that period of, you know, shock when things were so intense, of course, people weren't going out and making collective memorials. But but now I think is a, a really important time to do that and to shift the public consciousness more to grapple with the magnitude of the loss because it's it's in it's in minimizing it and normalizing it that the greatest danger lies right now with the monsters in power who are who are willing to do that and who are willing to just not care about the thousands of people disproportionately black and brown and poor and on the front lines or elderly and in care facilities and written off. It's just entirely too easy for those deaths to be just lost and forgotten, which, you know, would pave the way towards more monstrosities in the name of economic recovery. There's a group called Rise and Resist in New York that has done a lot of actions with banners that say Trump lies, people die. Um, they've gone outside the Trump Hotel, they've gone to hospitals, but they are very careful to do it in a way that's safe and to not have people standing closer than six feet together. But it's this organizing that's at the core of the mutual aid work where people are beginning to develop new relationships with their neighbors that I think has the most extraordinary potential over the long term. First and foremost, for immediate needs, do you need your prescriptions picked up? Do you, you know, need a quart of milk? Do you need advice on when to go to the doctor? Do you need to borrow a pulse oximeter? You know, whatever it might be that's an immediate need, but that the relationships become... I guess, just ripe with possibility for collective action in the future. One resource that I'm really looking forward to is that a, a wonderful organizer and writer and editor, Marina Citrin, has uh, pulled together a collective of people who are putting out a book called Pandemic Solidarity. It's coming out from Pluto Press. So it's a super lightning fast book and that captures mutual aid efforts all around the world and I'm just dying to read it because I think we don't even begin to grasp how far behind the U.S. is in so many ways. There's so many ways in which we're living in a failed state, in a failed society. And I think there are 
places where mutual aid efforts are more than just piecemeal stop gaps and where they are part of a real step toward reordering society. I would um, point people towards the hashtag we grieve together mm-hmm. uh, as well as the hashtag naming the lost, um, which both um, connect up to these grassroots efforts of collective mourning. The naming the lost vigil is over, but I'm sure that work will continue. And a group is uh, working on this we grieve together act of collective mourning as a next step We are all in shock. We are all dislocated. We are all experiencing the effects of collective trauma. And it can feel so frustrating and disempowering to feel like, what can we do? There's nothing we can do. Nothing's working. You know, there's no way to intervene. And AIDS activists felt that way for years and years and years and years before their efforts became, before it became clear that they had mounted the single most effective grassroots campaign of the 20th century, which is how I consider the the grassroots response to to the AIDS epidemic. I do as well. It's important in the midst of this um, incredibly disorienting time when we can't see more than like a day ahead of us, it feels to somehow be okay with taking a longer view. That's very helpful to hear, to just kind of have to coexist with the anxiety and, you know, and learn to, to live with it. I agree. I thank you so much. I, this is really helpful for me and so hopefully by extension for others. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to think out loud about these questions. I just always look to you for these kinds of questions, even before there was a global pandemic. So I really appreciate your taking the time. Well, thank you. And please stay safe and healthy. You too.